everybody. Welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. This is one of those Man on the Silver Mountain episodes where I just kind of go off on my own for a while. I didn't really have anyone lined up, so uh, I figured I'd bang one of these out, uh, give some thanks, talk about some stuff that's going on, and, um, you know, just kind of kind of go off a little bit. Anyway, before we get started, uh, my thoughts go out to the people of Puerto Rico who are dealing with the devastation of Hurricane Maria. Um, Our leader, Donald Trump, um, is more preoccupied with uh, warring with professional athletes these days than actually talking about some of these tragedies that happen to our, uh, our territory, Puerto Rico, down to the south, so... Anyway, here at Everything Went Black, I just want to give my condolences out there. Um, I have some friends who have family down there, and I just hope everything's turning out okay. And uh, my thoughts are with you guys. I want to thank Kevin Stewart Panko and Frederick Galloway, our newest allies on Patreon. All hell. Thank you very much. Much love, and I really appreciate the support. Uh, speaking of Patreon... The final chapter of Lifetime of Gray Skies has posted. So if you're a Patreon member, you've been getting free downloads of these chapters as they go up. Um, It's one of the perks of subscribing to Everything Went Black. And um, for those of you out there who do not support the podcast via Patreon, there's going to be a, a pay download available on Bandcamp sometime next month. And um, basically, Lifetime of Grey Skies is the story of Anodyne's first and only European tour back in 2004. Uh, definitely a different version of Mike Hill that exists today. And um, I actually had a lot of fun reading it, kind of going through my old journals and uh, remembering uh, what it was like back in those, those days. Uh, on a personal level, I was going through some heavy personal stuff, and uh, it carried over into my journeys abroad. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I, I don't know, this is the kind of thing I want to do. Um, I have an interest in audiobooks, and uh, this is something that is more like practice, I guess. And if any of you guys out there want to check it out, uh, you can get it for free by joining Patreon and also supporting the podcast, or... At some point next month, and I'll make it available when this happens, uh, there'll be a Bandcamp uh, page where you can download all the chapters and uh, you know check it out. So, Some other stuff. I mean, those of you out there who are on Patreon, let me know if you think it's cool, like if you think it was good, because I'm thinking about doing more kind of like story-oriented uh, spoken pieces. Um, you know, not spoken word. I'm not going to be like reading any kind of bullshit like poetry or whatever. It's like stories, you know, and it's storytelling. Um, you know, kind of like what this whole podcast is all about when I have a guest who just tell stories, talk. Except these uh, will be one sided. You'll just hear my voice reflecting on some true stories and, um, you know, maybe some stories that, uh, that might help you. In your journey through life So similar to guys like Lenny Bruce And Henry Rollins And um, you know some other people out there That I enjoy listening and tell stories Joey Diaz He's got a great storyteller Download called the Testicle Testaments Which is uh, 
I mean, they're funny, but they're also pretty hard-hitting and emotional. And um, I guess it's a medium that I'm thinking about trying to expand into. So I, well, let's talk a Patreon. Any of you guys out there who don't know what it is, it's actually a, basically a script, a, um, excuse me, a subscription program. You can either go to the Everything Went Black Facebook page, and it's pinned at the top, or you can go to everythingwentblackmedia.com. And um, from there, you'll see there's a link that'll take you to the Patreon page. And there's, a, there's several different levels of involvement you can have. You can, for as little as $1 a month, you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can just make a one-time donation if you want, or continue with the monthly support. Either is very much appreciated. And as a result, you end up getting perks like these free downloads, you know, and, you know, at some point I'd like to send out some hard media to you guys via, you know, T-shirts or, uh, you know, 12-inch EPs, 12-inch LPs, things like that. So, um, so yeah, we're just going to try to get that thing rolling. Halloween is around the corner, and... Um, my other podcast that I do with my buddy Mike Scandato, uh, Necromaniacs, that's like our Christmas, Halloween. Necromaniacs is a horror podcast. If you guys love horror movies and, you know, exploitation, that kind of stuff, uh, you should check it out. It's on, um, it's on iTunes. And you can also, if you go to the Everything Went Black Media website, there's a, a link to it. It's actually, you know, part of that site. So, um, so yeah, anyway, with Halloween coming... Uh, Savage Gold is going to be releasing the Witch's Brew Seasonal Blend, which uh, I decided from this point on every year, this time of year, I'm going to release this blend. It'll be available once a year for a limited time. And if anyone's uh, you know interested, I'm going to be doing a pre-order. The official release date is October 1st. And I'm partnering up with Holy Mountain Printing, who's um, my good friend Danny Trudell. He's been doing them all the merch for Tombs on our last several tours. Danny's also a huge coffee fan. And uh, he actually, Savage Gold is available through his site as well. And in the past, we've done these collaborations with uh, really cool T-shirt designs and, and coffee. So we're going to do something like that again with Witcher's, Witch's Brew. And um, in a way, it's kind of like that Rorschach 1.6 band uh, split that came out back in, uh, I don't know, two or three hundred years ago in the Roman Empire times. Um, anyway, 1.6 Band and Rorschach did a split, and a couple different labels released it, and they all had different artwork variations. So that's kind of what Witch's Brew is all about. It's going to be this uh, split release between Savage Gold and Holy Mountain Printing. And uh, Danny's going to re-visualize uh, the label. It's going to have some cool artwork. And then... Um, Savage Gold's going to have its own packaging. And the packaging is based around my companion, my cat, Loki. She appears on the label. So if you like cats, there you go. You like cats, Halloween, witchcraft, you know, darkness, all these kinds of things kind of come together with the rich flavor of Savage Gold coffee. So anyway, if you want to take advantage and get a discount with this pre-order you can uh you can hit savagegoldcoffee.com and uh there's the discount code is samhain 2017 samhain 2017 
Well, for those of you who, who are in the know, it's Sawin. So uh, I just didn't want to pronounce it that way since most people probably say Sam Hain. So, uh, so there you go. Coffee people, let's come correct and let's do this. Uh, this is really long-winded, but it's also kind of being interspersed with little tidbits of information that's actually kind of relevant and interesting. But I uh, want to give a shout-out to our affiliate sponsor, On It. If you're um, a fan of fitness and nutrition, if you go to um, everythingwentblackmedia.com, there's two, there's two banners there that will take you to the On It site. One is for you know, food sources such as the MCT oil and uh, you know, that kind of stuff. The other one will take you to exercise equipment. Those are the only two portals that I currently have on the site. So help, once again, another way of supporting the podcast is purchasing stuff from On It through these portals. And um, if you don't want to spend any money, which I totally understand. Um, you can support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, uh, telling your friends about it, and um, you know, just basically sending out good vibes. I've, uh, I've actually met a few of you people out there on the road. So, um, so yeah, once again, man, we're going to be touring throughout the rest of the year uh, with tombs, that is. And um, if I run into you at a show... Uh, please feel free to come over and say hi. Uh, I'm usually, uh, you know, pretty pretty amicable guy. Um, you know, just, just say hi. And, uh, you know, it's always nice to meet new people, especially when you're traveling. You're basically around the same dudes in a van all day. You, know, you get to know each other really well, for better or for worse. So getting that outsider, at least someone else new to talk to besides the same four guys, I think is, uh, is pretty cool. And if you're a cool guy, we got a lot in common, you know, even better. So there you go. One of the things that I was hoping to do um, with these solo episodes was answer questions that you guys might have. So a couple questions have come across my desk, and I'm going to jump right into them. Pretty much all of these are technical questions related to recording uh, the Tombs records. So, uh, number one, do you ever record on tape in any band, say, two-inch or half-inch tape? Many moons ago, I recorded on tape. Anodyne, Lifetime of Grey Skies, was recorded on two-inch tape, two tape and mixed on a half-inch tape, which is kind of cool, uh, especially since that record probably sold maybe 50 or 60 copies, and... Uh, Level Plane was cool enough to pay for analog recording session for that band. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, you know, we also recorded some of the early, earlier material on one-inch 16-track tape. Uh, that was back when uh, I was a partner in a studio called Salad Days in Norwood, Mass. And, uh, well, started in Norwood, and then it moved up uh, to the North Shore for a while. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, we had a studio, we had a one-inch tape machine. After a while, we got a two-inch machine, and um, yeah, some of the early Anodyne stuff was recorded there by me, believe it or not. So I do have experience with analog, yes. Uh, prior to Anodyne, I was in this band called Otis, and pretty much at that point, this was like 1995, 96, somewhere in that area, and uh Digital technology wasn't what it was to, wasn't wasn't what it is today. So, 
pretty much the only way to record back then was on tape. So, um, you know, tape was relatively inexpensive and, uh, you know, you can, you can do a lot. That was like the only way to fly back then. So we recorded our earliest, the Otis stuff was all done on tape. I remember that first EP, um, most of you guys probably have no idea who this band is, which is fine because, uh, it's not one of my most, you know, prideful projects. Um, I mean, yeah, man, I'm, I'm proud of everything I've done, but I've had issues with that band. Um, you know, it was basically, you know, four guys who we were young at the time. Um, pretty much we all had different ideas about what we wanted to do with music. And, uh, yeah, it was like, it was like the, the, the sort of, it was almost like a, how a mixtape is where, you know, here's like one song by, you know, the Bad Brains, and here's another song by R.E.M., and then here's another song by Alice in Chains. You know, there might be a mixtape that you give a girl that has all those songs on it. Now think of like every song by a band being a cross-section of different styles of music that may or may not actually go together. And that was pretty much what Otis was, uh, was all about. Um, my good friend Josh Scott, who played in Anodyne with me, um, was in that band. And uh, so he and I felt like maybe we were more on the same page than the other cats in the band, but um, overall it was a, you know, a, good, a good thing because it was the first real band I ever actually ever played in. But it was ultimately something I felt very unsatisfied with. Um, and I guess, like, I actually haven't listened to any any of these records in at least 20 years so who knows um it, what how i feel about it if i pull it out these days uh jay bennett a uh, good friend of mine rock and roll journalist uh road warrior these days he's out on tour with mustard gas and roses he plays in black mare he's in ides of gemini uh you know he he's actually somebody who tries to torture me and wants to talk about Otis whenever I see him because he was one of the people who was around back then living in Boston in the mid to late 90s that saw the band live and uh, he might have you know, probably given a bad review to the record um, for you know, the noise or the pit report or whatever the hell you know, newsprint zines existed back then but uh, yeah, I'm getting off on a tangent but yeah, those records were all recorded on, um, on tape and I had never been in a real recording studio at that point. And, uh, yeah, the first stuff we did was at this place called The Lanes, which was out in Boston. Or actually, Boston, the city, but it was located in the, in the basement of, um, of this uh, Greek diner called Grecian Yearnings out in Alston. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you guys that are listening to this live in, in Boston right now. You... You know, and depending on how old you are, you, you may or may not have been around during that period. But, you know, Alston at that point was known as Alston Rock City because all these dudes and bands lived out there. And there was like, you know, practice spaces and recording studios and cheap food and, you know, um, good, uh, good times, I got to say. If you're 24 years old and trying to get things ra- rolling with your band and you live in the Boston area, that's the place to, to be, man. You, um, they had houses, 
for rent with basements. You could record your you know, practice space in your house, man. How cool is that? But anyway, I, yeah, I remember we recorded with Ken Smarr, a childhood friend of friend of mine, in the lanes, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever actually done uh, a recording in a proper studio, and that was all on one-inch analog tape, 16 tracks. And from there, we just kind of moved on. Like I said, you know, Pro Tools was like incredibly rare. No one really did anything with digital recording back then. And uh, it was like kind of an oddity. And this is like, you know, back then everyone used these arcane mechanical methods to capture music on these tactile reels of tape. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. Um you know, it's uh, not something that, I mean, most mostly these days, it's uh, kind of cost prohibitive to use tape. But, uh, but yeah, Tombs, a band that started in 2008, uh, exists well within the digital recording revolution. So, I mean, you know, by the time I started doing Tombs, um, you know, analog was, was expensive, rare, and digital recording was excellent common and affordable so that's uh, pretty much actually the first uh, couple of tombs things i recorded down in our practice space with my pro tools rig that i'm actually using to record this podcast with that's how old it is <laughs> but yeah we use pro tools um everything with the exception of winter hours was done on pro tools uh, winter hours was done at the etching tin studios down in richmond um, with a system that I believe was called Sonar. And um, that's the only time I've ever done any kind of projects with Sonar. And that was, uh, I believe that's a PC-based system, so it's a little bit rare, too. I mean, you know, mostly people use Macs, and, you know, you got Logic, you got all Pro Tools, you got Ableton Live, and all these things are very much geared towards using uh, the Apple computer. But, yeah, the Sonar system is a PC system. I like Pro Tools. It's cool. Okay, so what is your process like? Do you throw down all at once, get good tapes, takes, overdub solos and extra guitars? You know, how do I do it? Now, over the years, I've done it a lot of ways. You know, I've recorded uh, with an entire band all together uh, in one room with tape rolling you know everyone just fucking rocking and rolling and bleeding through each other's mics you know the bass coming in through the snare mic the guitars coming in through the overheads uh you know all that kind of stuff you know that doesn't really work out too well i mean you can get a you know a really quick recording that you know might sound like land speed record by Husker Du or something like that and that's cool you know and it's got a really cool it's all vibey but it's like Technically, not a great recording. Um, so, I mean, I, I imagine like back in the 70s, if you were Zeppelin, um, that's probably, you know, it probably would have been real sick to record the whole band that way. Um, but I think, I, I personally think that there are just too many variables uh, going on to do it live like that these days, especially since, um, you know, the listener has different expectations than they did back in the 70s. Though I think the music is far superior back in the 70s than it is now. Um, 
I just think that like technologically, um, you know, all this, all the basics were there, but just people were experimenting with stuff. They were like overdubs were kind of new back in the seventies, you know, and now in the last, the eighties, nineties, you know, the 21st century, pretty much everything is overdubbed. And we just kind of follow that trend, you know, that, that sort of uh, standard of, of recording. Um, you know, music in the 70s was, was looser, you know, and, and these days everything's got to be on the razor's edge. I mean, if you listen to um, you know, something from uh, the first couple of Sabbath records, like Sabbath One, if you listen to that song, The Wizard, amazing drumming, amazing feel, um, very dark, heavy recording. And, um, but the tempos are kind of all over the place, which is like totally fine back then. And... Um, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, that, I don't know if that really would fly so much. I mean, if Sabbath was a modern band and they and existed now and they're putting their first record out, they probably would use a click track, you know what I mean? And that, lends, that, that leads you to the question, would that song be as sick if the tempos had been rock, rock solid? I don't know, you could debate it either way. You know, for me, I love that recording. Um... It'd be fun to do recordings like that, but for me, I kind of, I like the precision of uh, the, the process that we use. And, uh, you know, basically we record everything separate. Um, there's a long demoing process that we go through where uh, once the songs are written, we have like, you know, practice tapes and all this other stuff. And then we actually find a studio uh, and on the Grand Annihilation this time around, we used uh, Chapel Black, which is uh, the Black Anvil studio. And um, so it was all done with friends. And uh, we demo out the songs with the idea that we're going to check the tempos and make sure we don't want to slow anything down or speed anything up or, you know, yeah, okay, is this, is this really 150 BPM that we want to play it at? Like that kind of thing. And then... Um, I actually, I set the Pro Tools sessions up on my own, um, you know, lock in the click track, and then I put in a pretty, a pretty uh, involved scratch reference tracks. Uh, you know, back when I first started doing this, I, uh, you know, I would maybe do a, 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 a one scratch guitar track. And um, nowadays I do two scratch guitar tracks because, like, I, maybe I'll play the other guitar line, you know, especially if... Uh, at some like in the song Black Sun Horizon, I drop out, and then Evan, who played on the record, is doing um, his like lead work. So the scratch session for that, the the reference tracks have me playing his part, and then I play my part, and then you know our songs these days. Since uh, we've been a two guitar band for many years, both parts are very different. So um, so we kind of I give that to the drummer as a reference and then after that i drop in like a a very rough vocal take of scratch vocals you know just basically me here singing through this mic i'm speaking through right now in my little crappy studio here um and mainly just for a reference i mean it's none of this stuff ever makes it to the record just i want everyone to know that this is like a very um you know just kind of rough rough and ready low-key kind of recording you know i use like a, a line six pod to do all the guitar stuff 
And um, it, that that's all there to support the drum tracks. I mean, the drummer can, you know, I'm at, we do everything alone. You're in, you're in, he's in that drum room by himself with like just these tracks playing over the headphones, and Eric Rutan staring at him across uh, the glass over the top of the console. So you know, he needs some help. So that's what this these these tracks are for. So he can hear all the guitars. And some vocals, because I imagine, you know, never, not being a drummer myself, you know, you don't, you might, you might lose track of how many times you ran through the, you know, the verse, or how many times, you know, oh, is that chorus? What's, what's the the line that, you know, I use as a cue for when we go into this next change into the chorus, like that kind of thing. So, um, you know, since we're rehearsing a lot, and a lot of the material on that record was performed live on in, you know, tour setting. Um, the drummer, you know, is used to hearing certain lines to help him, you know, keep keep himself in the song. So that's like uh, why that's the reasoning behind doing these uh, very extensive um, scratch tracks. So the drums, probably the most excruciating part of the recording process, uh, that gets wrapped up, and then. Um, some some engineers like to do bass next, but uh, Eric Rutan moves on to guitars, and this is uh, you know when life gets really hard for me and whoever else is playing guitar, because uh, working with Eric is like very very challenging. I mean, he's got the one of the best ears for tuning and execution than anyone I've ever met. So if it's out of tune or if it's off, it's not perfect, he will catch it and you will do it over again and again and again and again and again until it's right. So that part, we celebrated when we finished guitars on the last record. So, um, so yeah, just uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just say that and leave, leave it at that. So on the Grand Annihilation, I played all the bass and I did the vocals. So we split the days up. During the day, I would do uh, you know the bass lines for a few hours. Uh, we break for dinner, and then in the evenings we did vocals. Now, <laughs> while everyone was eating these nice dinners, I, I probably just had you know typically I would just eat some mangoes and water. Um, you know maybe a banana or something like that or some nuts. You know, because I can't sing on a full stomach. So, you know, I would, I would just kind of have a light dinner. These guys would be eating sushi or these, like, you know, really sick, like, fish sandwiches that we got down there. And, um, and I would just kind of hang out, you know, eating my mango, drinking water, staying hydrated, you know. And then when I got back to the studio, I'd, I'd do all my vocal takes. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, I'm going to say, like, Savage Gold was done this way. Um, the Grand Annihilation was done this way, of course. The EP, which we did with, uh, with uh, Sanford Parker, was basically done the same way. Um, you know, I provided him with, uh, you know, our ready-to-go um, Pro Tools sessions with a click track and scratch guitars, scratch vocals, you know, all that kind of stuff. Actually, that was the first record where I actually did this extensive of a of a click of a uh, scratch track um on on uh savage gold it was just guitars and a click and that's it and then you know we just went from there 
But, you know, the odd thing is, like, Savage, Savage Gold, I feel like, though we had two guitars on that record, I feel like I, the writing on those records was still almost like one guitar songs. Like, the writing, you know, even though Garrett added so much uh, to the record, I feel like the writing, the songs were written with more with the mind of a single guitar than say the material that was on uh, the EP All Empires Fall and the, the LP the Grand Annihilation so um, so that might have been a little bit of a change up there so uh, so yeah I don't know that was uh, it was a lot of fun it's cool to do these things every couple of years you know that is make records it's not uh, you know it's I wouldn't call recording fun but it's very rewarding especially when you're done Okay. Next question. Do you prefer analog or digital recording? I like digital. You know, with the converters that you have access to these days, uh, there's very little discernible difference. Um, you know, almost none, in my opinion, that can be detected. Uh, if you guys are um, fans of Wolves in the Throne Room, they're new. I, I, I am a fan of Wolves in the Throne Room, by the way. You can listen to their brand new album that just came out this week or last week or whatever. That uh, that was recorded with I forgot the name of the uh, converters that they used, but um, that was recorded with some you know totally maxed out, rad, brand new shit recorders. That um, sorry, uh, not recorders, uh, converters. Yeah, and that record sounds fantastic. I think that. Um, that is testament to where technology has brought us as far as, uh, you know, A to D converters. You know, I, I should know what that piece of equipment is called. However, I don't. So I have it written down in my notes somewhere because I recently, inter- well, not recently, but I interviewed Aaron uh, Weaver for a piece that's running in Revolver right now uh, about the new record, and he mentioned the name of these converters and I should know them because uh, it's been my lifelong dream to have a um, you know a, a tracking studio where you know I don't know if we'd ever really record an album there but something that we could make music at a place you know maybe it's more Vasilek material maybe it's another band maybe it's Tombs demos maybe it's like more pre-production stuff or maybe it's guitar tr- you know guitar over to who knows but I would love to have like a really killer studio again to work in and I should keep uh, the names of these converters in mind I know there's like probably some hipsters out there that believe that they can hear the difference between analog and digital uh, I, th- I say you're full of shit I think that in my opinion there's very little difference these days I also make too many mistakes playing to do it all analog. You'd have to, I mean, I'm not the best guitar player in the world. I never have claimed to be very good at that. Um, so for me, being able to punch in is very important. And using digital recording techniques, dropping in and pretty much anywhere is, uh, is required whenever I'm, you know, when it's my turn. So... Yeah, so there you have it. Those are all the questions. So if you guys want um, me to answer any of these questions, please uh, get at me. You can hit me up at mike.hill at everythingwentblackmedia.com. You can hit me up on Facebook Messenger if 
we're friends on Facebook. If not, then become my friend. Uh, you can do that also via, uh, let's see. You can hit me up through the Everything Going Black Media Facebook page as well, I guess. But yeah, mainly email me or just hit me up on Facebook or whatever, and um, I'll answer them. I'll, even if they're stupid, even if like you really ask me some dumb questions about, I don't know, whatever, man, I'll answer it to the best that I can. I'm not going to be offended. So some fucked up shit that happened recently, <laughs> some crazy shit that I just have to say something about is uh, this whole uh, war that Donald Trump is having against athletics. Uh, you know, Donald Trump's making more friends these days. Um, Trump has always been kind of prominent in the sports world. He always is, you, see, you always see him at events. And this is going back before his, like, you know, presidential uh, dreams. You know, in New York, you would always, they would scan the crowd. You'd see, you know, Trump, it's whatever, showing up at the different basketball games and everything. And he also was, um, I don't know if he was the outright owner, but I know he had a piece of Affliction MMA, which was like a short-lived failed MMA promotion which uh, existed back in like 2009 2010 something like that it had some good fighters I mean um, Andre Arlovsky fought on the, on Affliction I want to say Josh Barnett was part of that for a minute it had a lot of guys that were um, you know pride UFC fighters um, and then it just went out of business or maybe went bankrupt or who knows so, uh, yeah, so it's kind of a big deal that Trump is making enemies of athletes these days. Um, you know, it all started when he criticized. Uh, now, just to get something straight here, I do not know anything about football, baseball, uh, you know, basketball, any of the regular sports that people watch. I have no knowledge of. I know some names just because some of these guys' names are like in the news all the time, and you know you read about certain celebrity, and I, I, but I really don't know who's who. I don't know what positions they play. I don't know who won any of the playoffs. I don't know who won the Super Bowl, the World Series, or whatever the big championship is that the NBA do. I don't know anything about that. So if I get something wrong, I apologize to you guys out there who follow sports. So anyway, there was a football team where a bunch of these players took a knee to uh, protest police brutality. And look, I even, I mean, I, I think that's great. I think our right to protest is one of the most important rights that we can have. And I think that people should be able to express their dissatisfaction any way, that, as long as no one gets hurt, any way that they see fit, you know? Now, of course, Trump criticized these guys and, you know, he tweeted at the, whoever is the head of that uh, league saying these guys should be fired and all this other bullshit, which is like, um, I don't feel like that's the president's place to really do this kind of thing. So the Golden State Warriors, who are a basketball team, they declined to visit the White House after winning an NBA championship. Okay, apparently this is a uh, tradition where whoever wins the NBA championship gets invited to the White House. Now, you know, it's kind of cool, I suppose. Um, these guys decided they didn't want or they hesitated or something. 
You know, and then, of course, Trump tweets out that their invitation has been, you know, revoked or whatever. So immediately he hits the streets via Twitter, just starts talking shit, calling people names. He targeted Stephen Curry, who I have no fucking idea who that guy is, but I looked his name up, and he was a guy on the team, I'm, I'm assuming. He targeted him personally, you know, even though there was a team effort to not do this thing. Uh, so, yeah, so now there's, um, and then the, as a follow-up to this whole thing, there's a war of words between Donald Trump and LeBron James um, because now it's, we're getting into basketball season and there's, like, some big press event they did and LeBron James is criticizing Trump and he's going back at him and all this fucking ridiculousness is uh, taking it, wasting all of our time, you know? What a failure. It seems like anyone can get to Donald Trump. It seems like anyone with the slightest like idea can just launch a barb at him and he will respond. I just think the president of the United States should execute a little more restraint, should be a little bit more stoic in these cases. I mean, that's the mark of a weak leader. The mark of a weak person is someone who responds to criticism like this. I think it's fucking reprehensible. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people share the same opinion. And a lot of people are, um, are out there saying, yeah, I know, tell us something we don't know. But I just, something about this really struck a chord with me because trying to keep the, even if you're, I, I mean, maybe this speaks a lot to the way I approach life for myself. I mean, um, showing restraint. And look, I, recently I have definitely not shown restraint in a couple of instances. But I know how bad that makes me feel when I know I've done something that sort of feeds the sort of e- egotistical side of my personality. Um, and it, it kind of like diminishes the higher, the higher, I, and I hate this term, but the higher self, like the more ideal version of who you are. You know, I, I believe that, you know, there's this higher person that you should strive to be. And then there's the base material reflection of that. And someone like Donald Trump, I just think exists in this base world of material, materialism, greed. Um, all the things that typify this kind of like uh, Kali Yuga-esque world that we live in. And um, so, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's why it struck a chord with me where, you, you know, trying to have a little bit more fortitude if somebody hurts your feelings that you shouldn't just lash out at them. I mean, after all, you're the leader of this country and you should be a little bit more of a stoic when it comes to professional athletes not agreeing with you or anyone not agreeing with you. I mean, I think that there's lots of different people on this planet. You know, everyone has their own right to express themselves, to agree or to disagree with you. And I support that right completely. And um, I don't know, man. It's just like, um, you know, the, the whole thing down in Charlottesville, though I, you know, I don't, obviously don't support Nazism or white power or any of those things, but it's like, you know, everyone has a right to express themselves, you know, and I hate what they stand for, but the right to demonstrate 
and to counter demonstrate is part of what makes what the building blocks of our country. So, anyway, I don't want really to get into this too much of the bad vibe here because um, <laughs> it's kind of a weird segue, but I'm really looking forward to going out on tour after this. Uh, I know it's been announced already that we're playing Ozfest, which is cool. The, we're playing a bunch of dates on the way out there with 1349 and Goat Horror, and most of those dates are supporting Creator, which is like a legendary band to me. I mean, Goat Horror and 1349 are legendary bands to me too. So, I mean, this is our second time around with 1349. So I'm looking forward to seeing those guys again. And, um, you know, it's a pretty short run out there, but I think it's going to be filled with action. There's uh, another tour that we're going to be doing full U.S. with the exception of the Northeast. That's going to be kicking off on the tail end of uh, this tour. The tail end of OzFest, rather. That's going to take us through November and into December. And then that's it. That's the end of the year. 2017 shot to hell. It all goes really fast these days, man. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, thanks for, thanks for listening. I appreciate everyone out there who is interested in the podcast and listening to me ramble on and on about some of this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, once again... You can reach me on Twitter at Mike Hill HQ. Facebook, Michael Hill. Email me directly at mike.hill at everythingwentblackmedia.com. And if you, like I said, once again, if you want to support the podcast, you get free stuff in, uh, as a token of appreciation, you can support us through the Patreon, which is accessible through everythingwentblackmedia.com or it's pinned at the top of the Everything Going Black Facebook page. Thanks for the new Facebook likes, by the way. I'd love to hit 1,000 at some point soon, so if anyone out there hasn't liked the site yet, please go ahead and, and give us a like. We appreciate it. Um, you can follow me or check me out on Instagram, Mike underscore Hill underscore Primate, and there's all kinds of silly shit on there. If you're a horror fan... I have another podcast called Necromaniacs. I do that with Mike Scandato, who's been a guest on this podcast. Mike and I have been friends for quite a while at this point, and we both enjoy doing it. And uh, you can check that out, too. It's Halloween. We got a Halloween episode that we're going to be uh, recording at the end of the week. It'll be up either over the weekend or early next week, so, so there you go. Coffee drinkers, remember, witches brew. Use the discount code SAMHAIN2017 at savagegoldcoffee.com and get a 10% discount. And there you go. I hope to see you guys out there on tour. But until then, have a good night.
Yeah.